Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. You know, ever since the pandemic has hit, I have wanted to talk to people who've lived a lot of life, and that's Philip Goldberg. And man, what a salt-of-the-earth human. He's written a lot of books. He is a spiritual counselor. He's the real deal. He really is a, a Brooklyn guy who lived in Manhattan, New England, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, and Iowa. He kind of idealistically was trying to find his way in the 60s, expanding his mind, trying to figure out what love means, how to end racism and war. He was kind of relentless in his search, and he's written a lot of books, some that you might already be aware of. Yogananda is the one that I'm most aware of, an American Veda. But I'll tell you, he wrote one perfect timing for the rest of us called Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. And what I loved about my conversation with Philip was his transparency and willingness to talk about, for example, I asked him about cultural appropriation and spirituality in the West. And he's just real. I love people like Philip. I feel like he walks his walk. And I can't wait to have you get to hear more about his life and get to listen in on our connection because it felt really, really sweet. So Philip Goldberg, author of many, many books, but most, most currently Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. Philip Goldberg, Tracy Rubel, I'm so excited to get to talk with you. And we were talking beforehand that there was this synchronicity that we had that I went yes. to CIAS and the, the, that I studied transpersonal psychology and, and some of your work around Yogananda was something that we were ex, you know, exposed to. So, wow, thank you for, for A, being here and all, B, all the work you do in the world. It's really cool stuff that you're into. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the welcome. So, you know, you've written this book called Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. I've heard you, I, I stalked you a little bit, so I've heard you talk about it. And you said, I didn't even know that the times were to get this crazy. So the timing on this book is just sort of luck. But do you, yeah. do, you know, knowing what I know about spirituality, do you think, though, that there was potentially some wiser guidance that had this get released right when we all seemed to need it? I would not doubt it. Um, I, but everybody's complimenting me on my uh, impeccable timing. <laughs> but, <clears throat> and it is impeccable. I wish it weren't because, you know, uh, I wish there were not a pandemic. And the book was just coming out in more 
ordinarily crazy times. I, I wrote it last year and I started in the spring of 2019 because uh, things were pretty crazy then. Yeah. Uh, if we if we think back, it was been a lot crazy of for bad, a while. <laughs> yes, that's right. And there was a lot of bad stuff going on, uh, scary stuff. And people were yeah. worried and people were angry and people were afraid. And, and I would run into people who were just sort of neglecting their usual spiritual practices because things were so, you know, they were so agitated. And I, and I kept thinking, no, you know, it's the opposite. This is the time we need these practices more than ever. So I wrote the book and it, bingo, you know, we scheduled it for uh, August of this year and never knowing, you know, just how much more crazy the world would become. Yeah. But maybe there was some divine work at play yeah i have to believe there is you know i can sometimes i'm going to be super honest i can sometimes get turned off by spiritual practice types of books but i want to read yours because you're kind of um well you're kind of a rebel and i kind of <laughs> dig people that are rebels so then i want to go ooh philip is kind of a kind of a rebel I'm kind of a rebel, so I'm going to actually want to see what spiritual practice Philip is at, inviting us all to do. But I, I, I wanted to ask you, because there's this association with spiritual practice, that it's somebody that's um, sitting in robes, floating on a, on a cloud with not much bothering them. Yeah. And why do we, why do we make that perception? And, and maybe how does that harm us from even engaging in spiritual practice if it does? You know, I've been fighting this battle for 50 years, and I want to thank you for calling me a rebel because <laughs> I would have uh, I would have rejoiced in that label back when I was a, a, a political activist in my student years in the 60s, and and I haven't been called that in a while. So thank you. Oh, um, good. But I I'm I actually I'm I'm a kind of a blend of I, I honored tradition as spiritual tradition when it's done with integrity and it remains useful and practical and and i'm unconventional in that um, i honor uh, the individuality of everybody's spiritual perspective and spiritual path and happily draw from anything that works um so <laughs> what was your question again? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that we have this misnomer that oh, right, practice right. is only for, for people that want yeah. to float around on a cloud, you know? Yes. And, and it, you know, there is a certain amount of escapism in every spiritual tradition. Um, and people who need the excuse to, you know, disengage from the world will, will find uh ways to justify it in many of the spiritual teachings but the truth is most spiritual teachings that are aimed at the, the vast majority of humankind who are not hermits and who are not uh you know bliss ninnies living by themselves in a in a cave or a small ashram or something most of us are engaged in the world. We have families, we have jobs, we have communities, we're citizens. And 
the spiritual teachings that I value the most and that have had the most impact are the ones that acknowledge that you can have a deep spiritual life in the midst of it all and that that spiritual foundation is not an escape from the world except you know temporarily when you take time out to meditate or pray or do your yoga or whatever you do but those temporary retreats and the the taking refuge the finding inner peace as as a you know self-protective mechanism against the ravages of the world you then come out into the world and spiritual practices give us a, a stronger foundation of uh, strength and inner stability and calmness of mind so we can engage in the world without losing our stability and thereby being more effective and this is this is an important factor in especially for people who want to make a difference in the world it's not escapism it's a, a, an investment of time to do these practices to gain the strength and wisdom and clarity and inner peace that that makes you more effective in the world mm -hmm. people like Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, you know, all the great, you know, activists who had a, a, a spiritual foundation, they all knew this. Mm. And so it's an important lesson for all of us to, to be reminded of. Mm. Yeah, what I hear you saying is that it's like this source of refueling so that you could get back out there and do the good work in a way. It, exactly. It's both self-protection mm. and a, a reboot, a restart. So you go out there. You know, I'm a sports fan, and we're recording this in the middle of the World Series and just after the NBA playoffs here in America. And, and the, I watch these athletes, and the ones I admire the most, the ones who you know, teammates admire the most, are the ones who, when, when the pressure is on and there's tension, and anxiety they're the ones who retain their cool and they perform with excellence mm. and 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 you know by analogy we can do the same in the midst of difficulties in the midst of challenges in the midst of the the ups and downs of the world we can retain some inner stability keep our cool and therefore be, you know, whatever we do in the world, be better parents, be better uh, doctors, be better bus drivers, whatever it is, mm. we will do it with a little more equanimity and a little more compassion and a little more clarity and therefore make smarter decisions instead of, you know, flying off the handle because we're angry or uh, getting so nervous we mess things up. Yep. Yep, this makes sense. You know, one of the things that I wrestled with when I was at, you and I talked about CIS before we started recording, I wrestled with this idea of where there was room for anger in our 
spiritual life. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you've, you know, where you fall on that, but it's been a question that I've wondered, does spiritual life mute our anger and sort of tone police us? Or does it help <laughs> us turn that anger into something that's more effective? I'm just curious to riff with you a little bit about that. I'm I'm in the latter camp. I wrote a piece about that. In fact, I wrote a piece about that. And it's one of the reasons I, you know, my publisher said, you know, let's do a book. And I and I included in in uh, spiritual practice for crazy times, uh, I talk about converting uh, toxic emotions into something that could be channeled in a constructive way. And anger is a critical one. When we're if we're consumed, <clears throat> I'm not saying don't get angry. That would be phony baloney stuff. Yeah. Thank you for saying sometimes, that. <laughs> no, really, sometimes yeah. there's a reason to be angry. I mean, yeah. you know, anger is a defense. It's a it's an evolutionary uh, defense mechanism. It, it alerts us to something that's threatening. And so anger can be, you know, can tell us something needs our attention. Yeah. But if we're filled with rage. We know from our own experience, whether it's, you know, getting upset at, at, a, at our child's temper tantrum or our spouse or our, you know, coworker or whatever, when we act in the midst of rage, we usually say things and do things we later regret. We make things worse. But if you can take that rage and allow it to settle a bit, and there are spiritual practices to do this mm -hmm. so that you can then have some clarity of thought and look at it and say, what's going on? What needs my attention? And maybe convert rage into something more useful like indignation. Mm. You know, that term righteous mm -hmm. indignation. You know, people, I mentioned Martin Luther King before. He was angry. He mm -hmm. had good reason to be angry. But he... He didn't, you know, lash out in rage. He channeled that anger into righteous indignation and good strategy and useful tactics to channel it and make a difference. And I think so anger has its uses, but, you know, we have to uh, convert it and, and channel it and reframe it so that. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I, I emphasize in my book that the spiritual can be practical. Mm -hmm. It can be more practical than than ignoring the spiritual dimension of life. Oh, that's really cool. Say that again. So spirituality. The can spiritual be can be practical um, because it makes us better human beings. It makes you said us it's more effective. But what beings. I love what you said is it's even more practical than ignoring, which yeah, is so yeah. swimming if upstream you, when yes, you say that. If you, if you ignore the spiritual dimension of your life, however you may define it, and mm -hmm. there's you know infinite numbers of approaches to what we call the spiritual. But I, I'm, I'm grateful to you for um, getting us to uh, reject the uh, image of spirituality as pie in the sky, fantasy world, uh, you know, sitting under a tree in lotus position, ignoring the world. There's a there's value in sitting under a tree. Sure. Yeah. But but we then we get up and we return to the world. You know, I always yeah. joke 
that, you know, people, spiritual people sometimes fantasy, fantasize about leaving the world and going to live in an ashram or, you know, some uh, cabin in the woods. And I think, yeah, but, you, you know, you're going to have to go shopping. You're going to have to buy food. You're going to get pissed off at the person in the next room. You're going to have to, you know, shelter yourself and get clothes. You're, you're, you, you, you're a human being interacting in the world. And by engaging in effective spiritual practices, we can, we can do, we can be better human beings. Yeah. <laughs> as simple no, as that. I totally make sense. You know, so there are some zeitgeist spiritual practices right now. I mean, mindfulness is everywhere. Yoga is mm-hmm. kind of everywhere. Um, what What is in store for folks, though, when they pick up spiritual practice for crazy times? A couple little things that maybe people have never heard of, but that you find to be kind of effective and practical and super cool. Well, I'm a big advocate of, of deep meditation practices. I, I, I mean, the book... Most of the book is practical guidance and techniques, instructions, advice. I drew from many spiritual traditions, but especially the ones that come to us uh, via India. And um, I try to use the ones, especially the ones that have some verification in modern research by psychology and um, neurophysiology and that sort of thing. So I have methods for establishing a regular spiritual practice, which I strongly recommend, a a deep spiritual practice. And I I have a lot about how to distinguish the the various different forms of meditation and mindfulness, because they're not all the same. They're not all right. There's no one right win for every person. But I favor the ones that don't require a tremendous amount of mind control or effort, because uh, the, the effortless ones are much more relaxing and calming. And I have, you know, uh, I, one thing that I think is important in the book is um, I recommend regular daily practice, and, and I have guidelines for that, but also interventions for um, other times of day when we might need, you know, a one minute practice, mm. a five minute, five minute practice, or you, you know, anything up to, you know, taking a, a, a long retreat. And so I have guidance for arranging in time intervals, creating an inventory of practices that work for you mm. uh, so that you can draw on them as needed. In the moment when things hit the fan and things are crazy, uh, at you know other periods of, of 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 your life when you might have time to to uh, go to a, a a sacred place, have to work with your relationships so they are more supportive of mm-hmm. of inner peace and, and spiritual practice. I also like to expand the definition of spiritual practice. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, so for example, in the, you know, in those short time intervals, you know, you're, you're upset, things are crazy. You're at the office, whatever. You only have a few minutes. What can you do? There's many things you can do. You can do breathing practices. You can get on the floor and stretch. You can, Put on a song 
and you know it doesn't have to be a so-called spiritual song you can yeah. you know put on a, a rock song or a jazz song or a hip-hop song anything that uplifts you and 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 is good for your soul that's mm. that in that moment is spiritual it's mm. sacred it's what we if we bring to it the proper attitude yeah you know you're making you're giving i'm having a reverie right now of an unusual um practice so after um george floyd's murder we had a, a kind of a famous jazz singer here in berlin lead 50 or 60 of our sidewalk talk volunteers in song and wow. we just said songs together and uh, people from all different faiths and backgrounds and traditions and i remember just feeling so much better in my because you could almost feel the you know in my body as yeah. i was singing yeah. and it was yeah. funny because she because we were all on zoom and we couldn't get the sound you know you can't get the sync up exactly yeah. right yeah. so we put ourselves on mute and she was singing and my husband said you were singing so loud that the people at the bus stop could hear you and they were <laughs> laughing at you. So, well, hopefully they got some benefit from my spiritual practice too. But yeah. who knew that singing songs, I mean, it makes sense because we do that in churches for years and years and years. Yes. but And in India, you know, there's this group chanting, chanting, right? chanting of Sanskrit mantras and it's ecstatic and it's beautiful and it's lovely. Gospel, choirs. Gregorian chants. I mean, but but then there's just good old singing, you know, uh, sing a show tune. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. You know, th think of think of, for example, oh what a beautiful morning. Yeah. It is it is an old corny Rogers and Hammerstein song that was revolutionary. Oh when what it a first... beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. That one, right? <laughs> I feel better already. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm uplifted. It, it's, you know, it's like, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, you're just, what's happening is I'm making these connections to things that I might not have thought were spiritual. And I'm going, oh, right, they're spiritual. You know what else I've been doing lately, Philip? I, I have been coloring in the morning. Oh, wow. I just have needed... Um, it's a lot like song. I've needed an element of play and something yes. that's kind of not linear. Yes. And, and that reminds me of another thing that I, I included in uh, spiritual practice for crazy times, the importance of art, art, the viewing art, not just visual art, but uh, drama, reading great novels, reading poetry, of course, music, which we've already talked about, but not just taking in great art but doing art mm. so you mentioned coloring you know people might draw people might you know bound bang, bang on a drum sing you know these are these can be spiritual acts if we bring you know the best of our inner life to it yeah. you know i always say that um Something, whether something is spiritual depends as much on what you bring to it as the thing itself. Mm. There's, a, there's an old funny line that says if uh, sitting in church and thinking you're spiritual is like think, sitting in a garage and thinking you're a car. Right. It, 
it, it's what you bring to it. Some people, you know, go to church on Sunday morning because it's obligatory and they're, they'd much rather be home watching the football game and they're, they're not there. They're not yeah. really there in a holy place. But, you know, some other people can be, you know, just taking a walk in a park and yeah. it's a sacred experience. It's what you bring to it. Mm. I live in Los Angeles. I live close enough to the ocean to take walks on the beach, you know, easily. Yeah. It's the same beach every day when I go there. It's a beautiful beach. People come from all over the world to walk in the beach of Venice and Santa Monica. And, and I walk on the beach. And some days I'm, it's like ecstasy. It, it's, yeah. I'm at one with the environment and it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. And I'm so grateful. Other days, I'm just, I might as well be walking in a, you know, an alleyway in mm. some grungy city because I'm, I'm not bringing my, the best of myself to it. I'm not perceiving the, the sacredness of that moment. So yeah. a lot of it is what we bring to it. You know, I appreciate you saying that because I, I've shared with some of the sidewalk talk listeners. I can't say that it happens every time I go sit out on a sidewalk and listen. Sometimes I'm cold or <laughs> distracted yeah. or I'm like, Oh, I feel like I have to do a good job. Um, but there are times where I do manage to bring that level of intentionality that you're describing. And yet I often think of spiritual practice as something that's very private between yeah. me and me, but here I'm having this kind of ecstatic spiritual experience listening to another human soul because you're bringing that open heart and empathy and compassion and receptivity and i would just add that regular spiritual practice increases the odds that a person will have those qualities when needed it doesn't guarantee anything, but generally speaking, and the research bears this out, yeah. regular spiritual practices, the deep ones that, that really connect us with what I call the sanctuary of peace within us, you know, the more you do those, the more your own innate compassion and empathy, the capacity for love, the openness, the, the, the feeling of, of mutuality and connectedness with other people, those things uh, tend to be enhanced yeah. over time. And because if you, if you go to those experiences in an agitated, upset, uh, selfish frame of mind, you won't, you won't be bringing the same qualities. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's well said. You know, I want to. Ask... I'll also let me, if I may, I'll yeah. also add that what you're talking about, this wonderful sidewalk talk you're doing, that in itself is a spiritual practice. Yeah. Or certainly can be. I mean, look what you're bringing to to other human beings. You're you're doing service, and that's one of the forms of spiritual practice I write about in the book. Getting out of your ego, getting out of yourself, yeah. and doing something for somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of research that shows that your own well-being is enhanced by doing service like that, whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and, and that's a spiritual practice and the world needs as much of it as, as we can bring it 
You know, you just kind of nailed it. I, re- I was sort of reflecting as you were talking. It's what it happens when I have those experiences on the sidewalk is because I'm listening so well that I'm actually sort of surrendered my ego. It's not that I'm merging with the other person and becoming a big ball of we. I'm, I'm still intact, yes. but my ego is not leading the conversation or leading yes. the listening. It's such a relief. I mean, it feels beautiful. Yes. And... <clears throat> And you're in good company with that. You know, some of the great sages of all time have said, you know, they have made service, what in India is called seva, mm. selfless service, um, a part of, of the repertoire of spiritual practices they, they uh, bring to mm. their followers. This is every spiritual tradition that I know of has uh, some element of service mm-hmm. as part of its mission and regular thing be- for this very reason. It's not only making a contribution to the world, it's also serving the servers, mm-hmm. you know, the people who do service. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a great quote from Tagore about that. Mm-hmm. Um you can hear you ah, here it is. I found it in my oh, very God, own so book. Fast. <laughs> I happened to. I, well, I knew the chapter. It was synchronicity in. again. See. Yes, it was. But I, <laughs> to, I flipped right to it. Rabindranath Tagore. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I woke and saw that life was service. I acted, and behold, service was joy. Wow. That's a big circle. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, yes. Um, And there's much service needed these days. Okay. You and I are getting all touchy-feely, but can I ask you a a rebellious question? Please. All right. Here's what's come up in some of my circles and certainly came up when I was at CIS, which is this concept of appropriation. Yes. And I know you've spoken quite eloquently, and I think you are masterful at describing, you know, how do we make use of other cultures, spiritual traditions, you know, have it elevate us and, and all those things without unduly harming or appropriating something as, as we tend to do. This is, this is delicate stuff. Yeah. So I want, I want to be careful in what I say. I think appropriation is a legitimate concern and um, it's uh, here in the U.S. and probably in, in, in Western Europe as well. Um, it's especially focused on uh, the, or the, the, the use, the adoption of spiritual uh, principles and methodologies that come to us from the East, especially nowadays yoga and mindfulness, meditation. And it's a legitimate concern. At the same time, the whole of world history and progress in different spheres of life is um, features cultures borrowing from each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we eat pizza in America and made hamburgers in Italy. And, you know, Indians have drive cars that were invented in America. They took the technology of 
motion pictures that was invented in the U.S., and they made Bollywood mm-hmm. of it. They, you know, computer technologies and software engineers. So this borrowing back and forth is eternal, and and it's sir, it served the world very well. Then, of course, there's the dark side. There's there's stealing of things. There's inappropriate use of things. And if, but if you look at spiritual teachings in the same way we look at technologies or elements of culture like food and clothing and musical forms, look at the mix of musical forms that bring us, you know, so much joy. Mm. Um, my favorite, you know, my ringtone on my phone is John Coltrane playing. <laughs> I but, love John but, Coltrane. But, yes, but what? But the song is a Rodgers and Hammerstein song. You know, my favorite things. This ditty little thing. He turned it into fabulous jazz, and mm. and that kind of borrowing and interchange is you know enriches us. Mm-hmm. So if you look at spiritual practices like yoga and meditation and mindfulness and all these things, in the same way we look at cultural exchanges and technologies, then it's it's part of the fabric of modern life. Yeah. And I would point out, as I do uh, in my books, in American Veda and the, my biography of Yogananda, it was the teachers coming here from India who brought these ideas and these techniques and methods, not just India, but if you look at Buddhism, all the Buddhist cultures, Tibet and Japan and so forth, um, they brought this wisdom and these practical methods to the West and trained Westerners to carry on their legacies. So are those Westerners who are certified and trained by, you know, genuine yogis and swamis and roshis, are they appropriating? No, they're honoring their tradition. But then there's misuses and, um, things that degrade those techniques. So we have to be careful and judge it on an individual basis. And as far as I'm concerned, the main thing is, are the teachings being transmitted with integrity mm-hmm. or are they being diluted and distorted and corrupted for commercial purposes? Well, I think that was a big bingo right there, that last yeah. statement. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's about it. That's about be... intention, what I hear yes. you saying. Mm-hmm. Yes, and misuse. Yeah. And and uh, or, you know. Lack of integrity. You know, something's coming up in my heart as I listen to you, too. I'm making a bunch. I'm mashing up. I'm I'm appropriating from some of our other podcast guests. I remember when Howard C. Stevenson was on, he said, you've got to know where you come from. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, like when you were talking about John Coltrane, um, sort of playing his Haverstein with um, songs. I can't even, I don't even know the, how do you say it? The the song that I was what? singing earlier. You said John Coltrane oh, was doing the cover my, of that. My, my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you honor and know where that John Coltrane song actually came from. I could feel you come alive mm-hmm. and yeah, I felt yeah, this adoration. Yeah. You knew the source. Yes. And so, and that's came. important. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. There are people doing mindfulness and yoga and secularizing them and, you know, making them more uh, commercially palatable. 
Yeah. And th and that in itself is not a bad thing because you know a lot of the gurus did the same thing. Yogananda, yeah. you know, made his teachings more palatable. He learned how to communicate to the Western mind and what they were interested in. But he did not compromise on the integrity uh, of the teachings themselves. And he honored where, it came, of course, because he came from there. Mm -hmm. And and the people who teach in lineages always, you know, most of them do honor the source. Yeah. It's, but other people don't. And and they do they they don't want you to know. Oh, this came from Buddhism. Oh, this this came from you know the rishis of India. This, you know, they just yeah. want to you know. And and that I think is that is. Uh, it's offensive to people from those cultures, and it, it also increases the chances that the teachings will be corrupted. Well, and you know, I'm actually having another, aside from feeling the offensiveness of it, I'm having a new awareness in the moment, in real time, which is that the experience of the practice is richer when we take the time to honor the source. Like, I can feel it in my body, even as we're talking about it right now. I'm like, oh, right. Absolutely. It, it just, it's not, it deepens. It's not about trying not to appropriate to be a good person. It, it's, it's about a deep sense of holding honor in the body. That, that's a very good point. You know, every once in a while I'm asked to give a talk to uh, people who are training to be yoga teachers. Mm. And, you know, a lot of them are very unaware of the depth and profundity of the tradition that they're, working and they just see it as exercise yeah. and and so one of my tasks is to let them know that you know by becoming by teaching in the name of yoga they are essentially you know making themselves part of a, a, an honorable lineage with many branches and tributaries mm. that go back to some of the the wisest and most brilliant people in the world and, mm -hmm. and a cultural context that they should recognize and honor and feel, you know, grateful for being part of. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's just, I'm sorry, I'm making all these connections. I'm getting super excited. Like it doesn't matter the, the, the spiritual tradition either. I mean, we could talk about the ones that Western culture is yes. more, I mean, it's the same with like Jesus Christ. You kind of got to like go back and, honor the guy and what he actually stood for, not just appropriate his teachings. And when you do, and, um, you're more closely aligned with what the intention of that whole philosophy is, right? Yes. And I uh, wish that certain uh, Christian leaders these days would uh, go back and align themselves more closely with the uh, the uh, great teacher they claim to be representing. Yeah. Well, you know, my other study field of study was political science. And, you know, <laughs> one of, one of the things that, that I, I, I guess has made me wary about religion, having grown up in a very fundamentalist home. Did you? I did. I did. Um, was that religion as it became appropriated by the state made people cheaper to police. Oh, yeah, and so, true. so um, I think I think that 
this was just a really fun conversation. <laughs> well, you know, I I grew up in exactly the opposite. I yeah. grew up I grew up with uh, sort of atheist parents who thought religion was the opium of the people, mm-hmm. and um, I had no religious training whatsoever. The only time religion ever came up was. Uh, essentially, to complain about religious people, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, to, and, to complain about me, essentially, because <laughs> I was yeah, one of them. Or, I'm telling you, or you know, overly pious uh, Catholics and Jews that I grew up in New York, so I, you know, a lot of that. And so I, I had a very cynical attitude toward mm. religion and its effects on the world that I had to unlearn. And you probably as had to unlearn your fundamentalism. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was wonderful. So I, I am going to go go pick up American Veda, too, after talking to you and some of the things that we yeah. talked about early on. But I will make sure for all of those listening, I'm going to put a bunch of links to not just Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, but some of other of Philip's books, because he's been studying the world spiritual traditions for 50 years. I think it's like over 25 books that you've either contributed to been a part of written i mean you've, you've you've got quite a lot of uh offerings for the rest of us to kind of expand yeah. our own souls so i thank you I, for that i hope you include my website i will include all the okay. things are you kidding beth gets <laughs> beth's got us teed up but i, I mentioned <laughs> to you that we have a little bit of a, a ritual that is kind of a sweet thing that all of the listeners have gotten used to how we close a conversation with every guest that we invite over, over, you've just, you and I just had tea. You've been in my house having tea with me. And it's, um, I want to introduce you to the other guests at the table and, and, and just offer to have you speak directly to them. Any words of wisdom or a wish to those 8,500 listeners that sit on sidewalks and listen to people around the world? I will, um, I'm honored to be with you. I have tremendous admiration and respect for what you do. I would encourage you to remember that deep within yourselves, deep within all of us, at our core, our essence, is a sanctuary of peace and a fortress of strength. And that there are many methods through which we can uh, access that sanctuary on a regular basis and as needed. And by doing so, we can bring more of the best parts of ourselves, our love, our compassion, our inner peace, our joy, our openness, our empathy uh, to the world and to the other people we connect with. And certainly able to do that on a more consistent basis than we would otherwise. Um, The spiritual, what we call the spiritual, is also very practical. And um, I hope you bring the best of yourselves with you when you speak to those people and hear them and listen to them from a big, 
joyful, compassionate heart. Spoken straight from your heart. I could feel it. What a delight to be together. Thank you for for this book and for the time together, Philip. Thank you, Tracy. It's been a joy. Yeah. Be well, okay? You too. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of